His name is Heston Blumenthal. He sniffed, poked and licked his way across the culinary world for 25 years, pushing back the boundaries of cooking. And now we get to join this journey with him. My name's Jay Taylor. I've been Heston's TV producer for many years and I'm now lucky enough to be your host as we travel deep inside his mind. And on today's show, grab your spotted dick, whip out your spam and stick your sausage on a fork as we're taking a trip into the world of school dinners, exploring the history and future of our iconic childhood meals. So without further ado, let's meet the Tucker Jenkins of the cooking world, Heston Blumenthal. Hello, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I wish. Well, no, I don't wish I knew what that introduction was going to be, uh, but I don't know how to respond to it other than saying, hi, hi guys, hi, Jay, Hello, hi, James. James. Uh, and I was going to sing the Grange Hill for those of you who don't know who Tucker Jenkins was. Is Shame on them. It's from a TV yeah, show. Shame on them. Kids. It was either that or Zamo. It's a TV show, TV, TV show we listened to when we were younger, Grange Hill. And I've got the tune in my head now. Ba-da, ba-da, down. Down, 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 down. I used to find that show really quite, quite edgy <laughs> as a kid. It was quite tense. It was edgy. It, I, th- I reckon it was the precursor to EastEnders. A lot of them went over to it, didn't they? Well, the same cast. Same <laughs> cast. <laughs> was that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was the yeah same cast the kid that did the box there was the there was the kid that did yeah. the boxing uh, Michelle Fowler was was somebody and, and she was yeah the, the and then there, there there was a fat kid that got bullied and then Roland was that Roland he it's always did meat Mars bars yeah Mrs Mc, Mrs McCluskey oh Mrs oh, McCluskey McCluskey not Mr Bronson Mr Bronson who then goes Don't on to play him. Hitler quite a lot in Indiana Jones films oh yes he does <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Imagine that on your acting CV. Got two roles, Headmasters or Hitler. What do you want? That's my range. <laughs> Dear listeners, just to say that there, we made a, um, one of the feast shows on school dinners. And Jay, in his wisdom, um, used the Grange Hill theme tune. Yes, I Remember? do. The association we have with school dinners. And when we look back at school dinners, I think most of us seem to think that school dinners were an unpleasant interruption to the lessons. And we hated the lessons. <laughs> so what did we think of the dinners? They were, they were well, the dinner ladies as well. Marge and Sheila. This is the middle of the West oh. Country. My, my wonderful toothless dinner ladies, Marge and Sheila. All right, my lover. Yeah. They would shout across the... Uh, Across the whole of the canteen. Oh yeah, but if you took if you if you didn't put your tray back in the right way. Oh hell yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, it was a bit wet. Ruling with an iron ladle. <laughs> an iron <laughs> ladle, the same ladle they used to tip out the mashed potato onto your plate. Although you can't really call it mashed potato. I don't know what you call it, but I I actually think they. I have to say, you know, they they got a bad rap. I think school dinner ladies get a bad rap because it's like a thankless task they get given. Uh, James Hammett what, what's the I mean nowadays the cost is it's £2.30 I think I've, I've, I, the most recent number I saw £2.30 per child the school is yeah. given school dinner ladies should be celebrated <laughs> it's like they're, they're, we're more, the we're villains more of the feast. fearful of them than the headmaster or headmistress well I've done some I've done some brief brief googling in, in the highly scientific way that we do on the Nobel Prize winning journey to the centre of the family. Oh, you mean that you mean you're the factual googling yes fully fully fact hard and fast <laughs> without fact. the word Wikipedia yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and supported by scientific heart, uh, research Absolute, as always uh, James will jump in and correct yeah. me on this but apparently the the school meals act was introduced in 1906 
uh, which was basically guarantee that every child going to school here in Britain would get a hot free meal a day. But the reality was it didn't happen for many places until after the First World War and then for many more even farther after that. The porridge was normally on the menu with milk and treacle followed by bread with margarine or dripping. Which is- <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a diet made for superheroes. <laughs> In terms of this modern day of age of veganism and looking at our microbiome... <laughs> And in those days, you know, I remember there was the theory that you never told your children you love them. Don't touch them. Don't give them a hug. And don't tell them you love them because it makes them weak. (laughs) Give them some dripping. But then you give them, let's just give them starch and sugar and really hardened fat. So then... They can fall asleep in the afternoon and then feel really bad about themselves. That's what, that's for me, my memory is, is just the, the, the pure stodge. Because over the next 30 years, the menu expanded uh, to include toad in the hole, mutton stew yeah. and treacle pudding. Now, I remember the sponge puddings for puddings and they were much more sponge than pudding is what I remember of them. They were very, I remember, maybe it's because I was smaller. So when you're smaller, everything seems bigger, relatively speaking. The treacle sponge was like a slab. It was like a one of those, you know, those um, those grey slabs. I don't know what the material. They're, they're like compressed concrete they used to make buildings. It was like that. And do you remember? You're probably too young for this. But before that, there was something called custard, but not custard as we know it. It was a massive aluminium container which contained. Something that was sort of egg-coloured based. I think it was about six inches thick. And you had, they had to cut it with a knife and put it on your plate. <laughs> I mean, we had pink custard, which I didn't even think was... I don't, God knows Ooh, what that was. Yeah. Do you remember that? Pink custard? And chocolate. A ch- a pink, a pink and brown and yellow. They were the colours. Oh, but they all tasted the same. Yeah, there was something... Cho- there was chocolate and pink. Yeah, they were just sweet and starchy. And I, you know, when I, when I was, um, I was probably nine, ten years old, I remember we sat, lunch was in the school gym. It was Lacey Green Middle School. Um, and there was round tables, six or eight of us, and there was like a, a rectangular um, cake tin dumped on the table, and it was something like a meatloaf. Oh, wow. And then there was some stinky cabbage, <laughs> and there was always that, that metal jug of water. Yes. It was like a bronze or, or, or aluminium colour with dents, dents in it. Like all a, over like it. A, like a whiskey still, everywhere, everywhere. What did they do with those jugs that made them so dented? I've always wondered, well, it was my enduring memory of school dinners was these big silver jugs. I realise jugs. now, I realise now, because when when in the early days of the duck, I... I don't know if this is my ADHD or just my awareness or my weakness or whatever you want to call it. I'm hypersensitive to smells and sound. And I found in a, in a kitchen, the people that would do the washing up, if you don't give them res- the, the respect, they throw things into the sink. They clunk and they crash and they bang and they twang and they clonk so anything metal will end up with a dent in it i think that's where it comes from it, i don't it's not the case of all the kids just, just throwing jugs on the floor and going mad 
<laughs> so oh, there I, was plenty I, of I, that I going on. <laughs> there, there, yeah, there was. So I got so sensitive that, that, that it's, it's bizarre. If, now, if you go into the kitchen in the dark, you know, we have... Well, not right now, obviously, because it's closed, like all restaurants. But we have six or seven um, washer-uppers. And they are as valuable as anyone else in the kitchen. And, and, and the washing up section is like, a, is like a smart kitchen. And it's silent. So you wouldn't, in the kitchen, you wouldn't let people scream and shout if something went wrong and throw a pan on the floor in the middle of the service. But the, I think it's got a connection to the more pressure the kitchen are under, the more pressure that they give the people to do the washing up, the quicker you do the washing up, Clunk, bang, thonk. Um, I'm trying to think of my Batman sounds. <laughs> Metal, <laughs> twang, <laughs> pow. But a, a ladle somehow doesn't have too many dents, so you can hit somebody on the head with it quite nicely. I remember once, for some reason, <laughs> at the school I was at, we did the same as you. We all sat down rig, big round tables, but it was Christmas lunch, and they gave us all crackers, and in the middle of the table, some teacher, for some reason, yeah. decided to put a candle which just became a challenge for every child on the table to burn everything, all the toys out the crackers, the crackers themselves, the gunpowder on the crackers. It was just, everything was, it was just the smell of m- melting plastic was kind of my enduring memory of school Christmas lunches. It was it's amazing. And then, and then there was uh, spam fritters. Oh, now you see, now you're getting onto it. So this is, this is what started coming around in the 60s and 70s. You had spam tapioca pudding i oh, sago yeah, tapioca or sago pudding steak and kidney pie probably in inverted commas you know what was was in it but they also had yeah, I, I i think it was 97 percent pig's kidneys three <laughs> percent uh, pastry and steak was the letter s and of course mashed potatoes but like you said what they were Nobody knows, but they certainly weren't nice. No. They were cold and entirely solid. Yeah, yes, and 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 the spam fritters, I remember being these sort of they look like burger patties covered in breadcrumbs, and then as they sli- as they scooped them out of the container to put them on the plates, gradually they sliced the layers off, and then all the fat came out from the spam, and and I, you know. I, I remember discovering spam is an, is, is spam is an amazing thing. Um, what actually is spam? Is it corned beef? It, it's, it, I think it was something like specially processed ham. I'm sure James will tell me that, it, that that's what it stands for. Something that's about like right. That. Pork shoulder, I think, mainly it was to start with. Uh, you processed and it's blitzed yeah. up and mixed with other stuff. Now, spam... Um, what I discovered, I had one of my best friends, I went to Hawaii for his wedding years ago. And I discovered that Hawaii consumes more spam than the rest of the world put together. So England, China, India, Singapore, Germany, the States, Hawaii consumes more spam than the rest of the world put together. Why? Apparently because of the American um, occupation in the war of, in Hawaii. And my, 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 my mate, he's um, <laughs> actually Lee Dixon, the ex-Arsenal player, Lee's wedding. And for, I think the night after his wedding, 
we thought, all right, I'm going to cook dinner. And I had a joke. I thought, I had this idea. I'm going to make an oxymoron. Uh, spam sushi. <laughs> so we play, I'm not very good at playing golf. Lee's brilliant at playing golf. So my son, myself, Lee, we play golf. And I was joking, my son, let's make a, let's do spam sushi. And then this little golf cart came along with sandwiches. And there's a Perspex um, kind of shelf at the top. Oh, what's in there? There were some sandwiches and some other pastries and stuff. And, they, and he pointed over to the, to, to the right-hand side and said, this is Spam Sushi. What, so they really did, they really did it out there, seriously? <laughs> they really made, they made Spam Sushi. Was it wrapped in seaweed? Yeah. Seaweed and rice. So imagine, Spam, seaweed and rice. Wow. <laughs> did you try it? You must so, have tried it. No, I knew you definitely tried it. Was it as awful as it sounds? Yes and no. There were, there, then we made some. We, we made some. And in fact, it kind of... You know, some things are so wrong and so right at the same time. Yes, definitely. <laughs> it is, that that, that <laughs> for me is the corned beef effect as well. When you eat corned beef, you're like, this is all kind of wrong, but it just sort of works when you have it with warm chips. Yeah, and maybe that's why it's so, that's why it's so popular. Maybe, and I remember when we made Feast, in what the Feast School Dinner Show, we made the most expensive Spam fritter. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. Of all time. Remember, it had hubugo ham, it had truffle, it had uh, different types of pork. Wait, what's hubugo? Say that word again. Hubugo ham. Hubugo ham. Hosolito hubugo ham. So the pata negra ham, the most expensive ham of the world. Fresh black truffle frozen into crystals where you blitz the pork up to use the crystallized truffle. So the ice helps the emulsification of the pork. And we put all these layers and we served it on a plate, remember, in a school desk? With oversized cutlery. With the Grange Hill music, oversized cutlery, um, a, a glass of milk. I think, I, think that, I think it worked out. I don't know. It was about 80 to 100 quid a portion. Now, now everyone listening, just remember, you could say this is an outrageous use of food. However, when you make a TV show, the cost of a set can be a couple of hundred thousand pounds in the blink of an eye for just for you know two seconds worth of filming but we made these spam fritters and they were amazing i do remember eating them i do remember i do remember them being incredible and not in that way because as you've always said the nostalgia is so important but they, they they tasted great and you weren't saying oh that's not like spam you're just saying this is really lovely yeah i mean it had i i looked at the recipe earlier it's it's like four pages long. Sound like you. It's certainly. It's, <laughs> <laughs> but but on a you know moving just moving that on timeline wise, when I went to uh, when I was twelve, thirteen, fourteen, they changed the school dinners so then you had a buffet system. So it's probably many people listening to this didn't realise the meatloaf and the spotted dick. Um, and the, the, the ladle-filled mashed potato and the cabbage that smelt like toilets and, the, you know, sitting around a table with a water jug with a dent in it. What happened was we got... It was a buffet system and you could queue up and you could move... There was salad. You were offered salad. But what did most kids do? Two bowls of chips, tomato ketchup. All your food groups. And that was their lunch. <laughs> All your food groups. Uh, yeah. 
Now I want to just pause there to talk about another area of our lives and worlds that maybe has taken a little bit of a downward turn over the past months, certainly. And that is shaving. You know what I'm talking about, chaps. In our lockdown world, I've seen more moustaches, beards and grizzly stubble than I think any of us have seen over the past few years. So what we need now is something to sort that out. And luckily, one of our sponsors is here to help. They are called Harry's. They were started by two chaps called Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were fed up with overpriced races, like I'm sure the rest of us are, with all that crazy faff that goes with them and huge expense on top of it. And they decided to start Harry's to fix shaving. But amazingly, they knew the only way they were going to do that was by buying their own factory. So that's exactly what they did. They bought a factory and started making razors. And they knew by doing that and taking less profit, they could offer a great quality product for a fair price. And it's true. I've been sent one of these razors and some shaving foam. And I uh, have got a lockdown beard like everyone else out there. And I get it a good shave, especially one of those beards where it's got a few days on it. And it came off brilliantly. And this razor is really nice. Big, thick, chunky handle. Really nice blades. Um, none of the associated tomfoolery that you tend to get with these daft razors that cost a fortune. It's actually just a really good product with um, lovely shaving foam that comes with it. It smells great. I, I heartily recommend it. And the great thing is we have an exclusive offer for all of our listeners out there. You can get started shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for just £4.95. And also you can help support our podcast and get your trial set delivered straight to you, which is brilliant because we're not going outdoors anymore. It includes a razor handle, five blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and a travel blade cover. And all you have to do is go to harrys.com forward slash Heston. harrys.com forward slash Heston and you can get rid of that lockdown beard just in time to send your kids back to school for some more school meals. So we've talked about the bad past of school meals. What about the future? I, I think it's the same as hospital food. What we don't do anymore is value food and value eating because as a species, we have made food. I'm talking generally Western world. There's an awful lot of areas now that, 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 that are starving that shouldn't be. But let's just generally speaking, there's no species that has made food so readily available that can get food for a press of a button. And so because we've worked so hard, it's incredible what we've done to make our food accessible. If you look at, you look at a David Attenborough show where there's a beetle that has to climb the highest sand dune in the world. It's like a human climbing Everest every morning to get more water but he can't find water so he has to do a handstand and wait for the morning dew to fall on his back so it runs down into his head and then he's got to go that down the mountain past all these beetle eating lizards that's just to get water or the lioness that has to kill to feed her children now incredibly us human beings don't have to do that anymore and i think our whole endocrine emotional system evolved to keep us alive, but to find food. So if you think about the most intimate relationship a human being has is with themselves. And in order to have that relationship, number one, they need to breathe. Number two, they need to drink. Number three, they need to eat and then they need to sleep. They're the the four most important. Then you can get on with being, you know, connectivity and all the other beautiful, incredible things that human beings have created. Now, obviously, we didn't invent breathing. We didn't invent water. However, we did invent cooking. 
we did harness fire. We did invent the concept of working together as a group to find food and sharing as opposed to normally there's a hierarchical system when you eat, whether, it, whether you're a lion or you're a crow. So our relationship with food, hunting, gathering, buying, preparing, cooking, eating, digesting, sharing, and then remembering is uniquely human. So it's the only it's the only subject that every other subject can come under. So there's um, a book by a guy called Uval Harari. He wrote, he's, he's written three books now, but the first one was called Sapiens. And in the beginning of Sapiens, he says, 13.8 billion years ago, there was Big Bang. And that's where space, time, and matter or mass combined. Physics. That resulted in new atoms or atoms and molecules, chemistry. Some of those atoms and molecules produced organisms, biology. Some of those organisms produced cultures, history. Now, the only subject that fits into all of those is food and cooking. We take something from the planet we consume the planet whether it's sunlight the new david atterborough show says exactly this we consume the energy from the planet but we also physically consume the planet so we can we need the sunlight we need to sleep but we also need fuel like every creature needs fuel so we take something from the ground or it could be an animal or a plant or or, or a nut or a leaf and we made fire, so we do something with it. We chop it, we mix it, we blitz it, we puree it. That is called physics. The result of our physical action on the food or the ingredients that we, um, that we hunt, gather, collect, and cook, is the result is that the texture and the flavor changes. So we create new molecules. That is called chemistry. Then we eat them, that is called biology. And then we evolve and we connect and we have a memory, that is called history. So this subject, if you go back to school dinners, is the only, food and nutrition is the only subject on the, that, that, that all the other subjects come under. You need maths, you need language, you need physics, it's physics, biology, chemistry, philosophy, geography, geology, uh, human connectivity, uh, psychology, everything, everything. So why is it being dropped? Why is food and nutrition being been dropped to A-level and it's optional at GCSE? And we're having this conversation about terrible school dinners. What happens if you give the kids, come on kids, we love cooking shows. We love cooking shows. Kids love adventure and discovery for cooking. So give them. Right, kids. How about you have you have two pound thirty? You work with a school dinner ladies because they try so hard, but it's also your responsibility. And then you work together to discover that. By working together, you can give more gratitude to more mouthfuls of food. So your relationship with food changes. Then you get more confidence. 
you have more connectivity. For me, it's an, it's an incredibly bizarre subject that we, the very thing we need to do, like actively do, pre gather, prepare, cook, eat, share food, we think is the most irrelevant thing that exists. That part of the day, that part of the day that we all look back on school dinners as being, like you say, a miserable time when you just ate for the sake of it because yeah. you, you needed some kind of yeah. stodge inside you. In, what you're saying is fantastic because that could be the most creative, the most fun, the, the most exciting part of the day. Because one of the things I wanted to ask you is how, how can school dinners... Look, when Jamie Oliver did it, he did nutrition. Fine. But how do you make school dinners spark the creativity, the imagination that kids have so much inside them? How do you make them a part of the day where you so, go, this is brilliant? When... The problem is when you talk nutrition, I'm going to tell you what's the best for you. But if you don't like it, it's not the best for you. So I don't know how to make you the best version of yourself when people say that. Your emotional condition, you only know how happy you are, for example, compared to how happy you might have felt before. I can't tell you how to be happy. I can't say, eat this, this is, you're eating this pizza, it's terrible, this is the best pizza. No, it's your emotion. And our emotions are everything in life. And when I did, I did a show on hospital food and went to Alderhey Hospital, the largest kids' hospital in Europe, it was in Liverpool. And I realised that the big thing was that mealtimes were served, that a nurse might have just changed your bedpan and then they give you your food. Seg segment mealtimes, change the lighting. Maybe put some music on, play some games. Make that's that's what that's what tribes used to do. The women might have to go and risk being stung by bees or eat poisonous plants. The blokes might have to go and hunt an animal and risk risk their own thing, their their own health. But they'd all come together at the end and build a fire, and then they would cook together and they would eat together and they would celebrate and they might dance together. But in hospital, it's all very well to tell people to eat free-range chicken or don't eat sugar, this is bad for you. But if you're, if you're emotionally, what, you, what we need is human connectivity. We need to feel that we're not going to be judged. We need to feel that we can laugh together. We need to feel that it's a bit like um, storytelling, superhero movies, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. You need to know that if you're going to fall over and you might F up because we all do and we're all humans, someone is going to try and pick you up. It's a bit like the original. There's a fantastic book by a guy called Charles Eisenstein called Sacred Economics. And his point was that we don't value money anymore. And that doesn't mean to say what one pound buys you. When he said it used to be in a small group, if you're in the, in the CAC and I have something I can give you to help you being out of the CAC, you might not give me that back. But if you're, you're in a position, we create collectively an environment where you want to help others as opposed to a fearful environment where we want to protect ourselves. And I think the school dinners is an opportunity for kids to create the most magical, wonderful thing. And if they don't like it, okay, they can laugh about it and they can learn. They can learn. 
because that and and the thing is that doesn't have to be expensive that two pound 40 or whatever it was a day if you meet yeah. you suddenly teamwork two of your mates come together seeing the pure joy in my son's eyes when he goes to like summer camps when they have a tuck shop and him and his mates are getting together and yeah. going oh if i give you my 50p and you got your 50p we've got a pound we can buy six yeah. you could yeah. take some yeah. of that excitement of the sweet shop and it doesn't have to be sweets, but it's kidonomics again, isn't it? Completely. And if you have less food and you're all aware, you're going to go, right, I'm going to, it's a bit like we took the kidonomics. <clears throat> Either go to my, sh- I'm going to the sweet shop and I'm going to buy, I've got, now my kidonomics is completely out of kilter with what sweets cost because I just don't buy them. You have three shillings. But, say, <laughs> but, but three, I have three shillings and I could buy 100 bubble gums or I can buy one bar of chocolate. And if I'm with a group of three or four people, we go, right, do we want to spend our money on these 100, 200 things? Or do we all value this so much and we're going to share it? So you value more mouthfuls of food. And the bigger picture at the moment is everyone's talking about a food shortage problem. So what do we do? So Elon Musk, we go to Mars, we run away. We try and find cheaper ways of producing more food. Yet we throw so much food away. So in with that £2.30 and you involve kids and you say, look, take resp- here, here, guys. This is what you got. You can share it all together. If you value, if you can value more mouthfuls of food, like we've done before with a raisin, you value more, you feel fulfilled instead of full. And if we focus on trying to feel full, it's the same thing with the addiction to money. The more we, we, we're never full, our belly gets bigger, our belly gets bigger. Whereas when you can feel fulfilled, it's for me, school dinners is an opportunity for pure human connectivity, discovery, adventure, magical playground, curiosity. It, I, and it's amazing. So we started this conversation talking about all the nonsense and the rubbish of school meals. Now, our relationship with food is what makes us human. And for me, that is, that's something you can't look up. Einstein said, why should we learn stuff we can look up? Why do we need to know where a semicolon goes when we've invented machines to do it for us? However, when you can discover, you become aware of the sensation that there is a difference on your top and bottom lip or the front of the back of your tongue, or maybe your gut is feeling a little bit different, but you don't know how to describe it when you're eating something or thinking about something. There's no computer system in the world that can tell you that. That is your own discovery with your relationship with yourself. And for me, that's life. That is the beauty of life. And this is not just school dinners you're talking about here, because that would be the most wonderful playground. But you are actively, or have been actively involved in helping to try and get a GCSE back in the prime position to help people learn this as part of their school curriculum alongside the maths and the physics of this world. Three, four, five years ago, I was involved in rewriting the GCSE on food and nutrition for uh, OCR, which is one of the two main governing bodies for um, GCSEs or or the exam system in in school. But it's optional. It's optional. (laughs) 
It's funny, isn't it? It's, Cooking and, and eating is seen as this. I, for me, it was one of the. Uh, it was it was a marginal course when I was at school, but it was my favourite lesson because you got to do whatever you. I remember creating an ice cream parlour one week, and then the next week trying to design a new type of dessert, and it felt so free and creative, just like you said. Especially in school, when creativity is seen as a, a marginalised thing, it's fine in its place as long as it doesn't get in the yeah. way of the proper education. Uh, the pro- yeah, the proper, the proper stuff. stuff. You know, the math. What is the proper stuff? We can't do maths without this. This cut in the pecking order. This comes first. You could do maths for a few weeks, but also the ability to think creatively <laughs> should come worse. above all those things anyway. Because as soon as everyone goes into the workspace, everyone goes, "Oh, he thinks creatively." It's like, well, we all did when we were yeah, five. Anyway, so, in in the hospital show as well, if you think back to Roald Dahl's um, revolting recipes, it's brilliant. We applied that to the to, to Alderhay. They would not eat the sandwiches. They were giving them. Fried potato waffles and baked starch, starch, starch. They wouldn't eat anything. So what we did was segmented. Rather than saying give nutritional stuff, we segmented the meal time to try and make them a little bit more exciting. So I remember, <laughs> I bet you can't eat this. So it was basically inspired by revolting recipes. And I remember making a mealworm pizza. We made edible slime. And mealworm pizza, which it was a pizza, but it had mealworms, things that you feed chickens. But if, you, if, you, if they're too big, they're not nice. But small fried mealworms taste like popcorn. They're delicious. So I remember being in the hospital kitchen and we cooked this mealworm pizza. Let's see if the kids, they wouldn't eat anything. They wouldn't eat any. They just, it was so miserable. So we put this little menu on their beds saying, I bet you can't eat this. Then we making these mealworm pizzas. But I used the chip frying basket in the hospital kitchen. Now, mealworms are a lot smaller and thinner than chips. Anyway, put them on the pizzas. We run this like half a kilometre to get such a long corridor to get to the, to the ward. Meanwhile, um, it was the same kitchen that fed the uh, the friends and family that oh, <laughs> came no. in, and this 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 uh, waitress came in and she sort of threw the plate down with one thing on it and looked at the chef and said, uh, "This woman said there's a worm in her food," <laughs> and there was a fried mealworm. <laughs> Imagine Fantastic. in a hospital, <laughs> but the kids. Loved it. And there was one kid that didn't like it. He didn't like it for the only reason we injected some of them with tomato ketchup, with a syringe. He didn't like ketchup. So you give the kids, give them the opportunity to eat what they want or say to them, right, all right, kids, let's try and make the most disgusting, revolting recipe possible, but we all want to try it. All right, then. It has the opposite effect, as opposed to, this is the best, but you can't eat that. That's disgusting. If you don't eat enough greens, you're not going to da-da-da-da-da-da. Yes, there are things that we consume that are going to be better for our digestive system and better for our gut health and our microbiome. However, if we don't want to eat them, then we create these hormones of defense and fear and negativity and where do all our hormones sit? In our gut, where all the little creatures are that eat our food. So it's like they are living in a sea of our emotions. So if you eat something with gratitude, you eat something with connectivity, you eat something with, with, with pleasure and awareness, 
the effect on your health is profound, profound. And we live in a world where there's too much judgment already. So I'm not saying that we should all be feasting off um, spam fritters, beef and dripping and Big Macs. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is the more gratitude, the more awareness, the more love we can give to our internal system. When we eat, the more profound effect it will have on our mental wellness. And the more increased our mental wellness is, the more increased our physical wellness will be. And also, I think it's a, a, a very interesting, the effect that us as adults have on our kids. I don't know if you remember, we did something once where we went to see the effect that, that adult faces have on their children. We had, it was a, it was a really funny day. We had eight yeah. toddlers sitting there. Well, one, one of the one really of the weird, funny crazy day. days. Just, just, it was a, we had a yeah. room with eight, eight proper little baby, like baby toddlers in there and you force fed them all lemons. <laughs> remember? Hang on, I love the way I force like I you had nothing to do with the setup of the idea. I force but yes, this was actual yes, science. It was actual a, science. This is actual science. This is a proper a, university, hard, irrefutable science. Yeah, I remember. They're all in high chairs. Their mums were with them. And the theory was that when an adult pulls a face, when you when you give someone something sour to eat, like a lemon, you start pulling that weird lemon face, and the kid looks yeah. at you and goes. <clears throat> oh, that's the weird face I should pull when I eat it. And it was amazing because you gave them lemons with a big smile. And I think it was like seven out of the eight kids. Not one of them pulled that sour face that you do because they hadn't learned it no. yet, which was remarkable. There's a very, um, a very um, contra- I don't know why it's controversial because it's long standing now. There's an incredible guy called Vijay Ramachandran, a professor. He's based in San Diego University. And some 30, 40 years ago, he started looking at things like synesthesia and a concept called mirrored neurons. And what he said was the last evolution, major evolution in the brain. I mean, you can argue now that our brain is regressing. As our food is becoming faster, we are less, we are less, because we're taking food for granted more, we're less connected with our food. So our brain is regressing. In some ways, there is an argument to that. I'm not saying I agree with it or not, but there, that is a strong argument. Now, what he says is the last major evolution in the brain, just either side of the of our, by our temples, <clears throat> are things called mirrored neurons. And it's the reflective, the learning process that when, what kids can do is they can see kids learn in a different way to adults. When adults learn, we have le- we built up all these layers of insecurities and we try and say, so right, let's say you play golf. My left foot needs to be here. My, my, my right toe needs to be this pressure. My right knee needs to be out a bit. I've got to keep my back straight. I've got to turn my shoulders back. I've got to look up. I've got to make sure I'm balanced. I've got to not catch my teeth too much. By the time you've done that, you've confused yourself so much. Kids don't do that. They just look and they copy. Smack it. And they've done lots of tests with 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 with, uh, with monkeys and um, uh, other primates on these mirrored neurons. So the idea that when so when you know when you look at a film, let's say you're you're a bloke, you look at a film and someone I, I, I haven't seen a film like this, but I'm just making this up by the way. Anyone listening, you see somebody's testicles <laughs> being cut off as a man. 
You are going to... You, 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 oh, you do. You see you every feel, guy cross their legs you, you when feel, you see someone get kicked so, in the you, gentleman's department. It, you feel it. So that's mirrored neurons. But there's a lot of the... the it's interesting. So anyone interested, have a look. Vijay Ramachandran uh, also came up with the concept of Kiki and Booba. So the idea that our language evolved to replicate our bodily move, our movement. So your facial movements and your body, if you're angry and aggressive, you'll become a sharp person. If you're, if you're soft and gentle, you're more rounded. And that's, it's the same thing. It's connected to mirrored neurons. But there are many, several scientists, eminent scientists in this world that for some reason don't think, um, don't agree with it. But it's a fascinating subject. But one thing I believe is for sure, as Picasso said, we're all born artists. The challenge is to remain an artist as we grow older. Because society as we learn language, society tells us all the things we should and shouldn't do to become a good citizen. So the fear, the f we lose, um, or we, 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 we gain, we, our fear of failure increases. And when our fear of failure increases, then our creativity decreases. So this is why, if you can say, this is revolting recipes, right, who can make the most disgusting milkshake ever? Me! And then you have a go. Wouldn't that be an awesome school dinner? Uh, Jay, you've done it to me before. <laughs> you remember, you got me to cook leeches fed on Goose blood. I now you mention for a it. Gothic Transylvanian feast. We went to that leech Remember? factory, not leech factory. And one of my yeah, just for the record, it was one of my uh, the thought of a leech on my hand was one of my big kind of pet hates. I've got a thing about snakes and leeches, like slimy things. And yeah, I say you may be. I said yes, but it was very difficult. Didn't really give you a choice most of the time. I will be fine. Just start recording. It'll be all right. <laughs> I didn't realise I was just yeah, stamping okay, straight okay. into a massive phobia. <laughs> just, can you just drink that, Heston? <laughs> Try and look pretty. What's he doing? Why, why is he running away? <laughs> when you gave me when you but gave me deep fried sheep's brains, that was the one that pushed me to the limit. It was actually quite nice in the end, but that was yeah. <laughs> but if you can know, you know, if you fall, someone's going to catch you. You're not. You, you've not failed. You've actually had a go. And I think that's what, we're that's what we're losing. And this is where the education system is failing so much. And um, my, who, I became friendly with him. Uh, his daughter um, and son-in-law, I'm very good friends with, incredible people. His name was Sir Ken Robinson. Uh, he was the head of the Arts Foundation uh, on the board of the Royal Ballet. He, his TED Talk, if anyone's interested... It is the most incredible TED Talk of all time, and it's the highest watched TED Talk of all time. It's about 10 years old now, and he it's wonderful. talks about how the education system kills creativity. The only thing for me he completely misses out, which is good for me, is food. Talks about music and art and stuff. However, the principle, we are still basing our lives 
on a system of measurement that was created uh, from the, Vict the Victorian system of industrialization, where mathematics and English are the most important things. But we've invented these incredible pieces of kit. So we don't need to know where a semicolon goes. You don't need to know what the, 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 the square root of 337 is at the click of a finger. The idea that these machines should allow us to be the incredible imaginative human beings that we are, instead of allowing us to be slaves to them. And as ever on Journey to the Centre of the Food, you guys out there listening are all part of this. We want to hear from you on your school dinner memories, but also all your ideas. And do feel free to experiment on your own children or other people's children as much as possible. Uh <laughs> without being arrested please <laughs> feed kids things we want to know what your thoughts are on school dinners what do you remember from them and what would you like them to become because this is a great area that i think we can we can delve into much more and also when was the last time you had spam because i don't think i've apart from your random spam fritter i don't think i've ever had official spam when was the last time you had spam heston the last time I had Spam was when we made it for the Feast Show, which was probably, I don't know, six, seven years ago. And I only refreshed my memory today looking at the recipe. You can't, it's, it's too expensive. It's too complicated. You have to order the You have to fly in the food from all over the place. It's not good for, uh, you know, air miles. Um, that was for celebrities, was though. Celebrities are obviously better people, so they deserve it. So that's fine. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cle clearly, clearly, celebrities are much more important <laughs> than anyone else. So so it was. you have to think about that spam fritter as a set design. So that's the, the last time I had a spam fritter. My God, it must be... Uh, um, I'm going to give my age away here. Probably... 12 years ago. 43, 45 years ago. 45 years ago, maybe. I think we might have to get hold of some spam. I, I think it's fairly easy to get hold of, isn't it? We'll <laughs> <laughs> get pop to the supermarket. James, as we've... How about, as, spam how about spam recipes? Yeah, what spam recipes? Well, if, if people have some unusual spam recipes, that would be... That would be I, I did make a spam for, my, for, for Lee after his wedding and after we made this joke about, about spam sushi that actually became a reality. Um, he came to the duck for dinner and I made spam ice cream for him. It's the only time I've ever made it. How was it? <laughs> and that was that must have been fifteen years ago. So actually, actually, that's the last time I had spam. Um, that was the last time he had it as well. It was so it was so wrong. It was so wrong. But there was a bit element of rightness about it at the same time, which made it even more wrong. And on that note, I'm afraid we've run out of time for this delve inside treacle puddings and mealworm pizzas and of course we haven't even spoken about spotted dicks um, <laughs> we're off to the doctor on that on that bombshell <laughs> until next time that was wonderful heston we will speak to you soon and i don't know how to say spotted dick in french yet but i'll have a look guys thank you <laughs>